preach after that, you need to find something else to do. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, I told you last Sunday that as we started Who's Your One, that be prepared. Satan is about to attack. Um, remember me saying that? Every Sunday morning, I get up around 4.30 just to um, get up and have my devotions, go over my uh, sermon material, and uh, uh, just relax uh, before church on Sunday morning. I normally get here between 7 and 7.15 on uh, most uh, Sunday mornings. I got up this morning. My alarm went off at 4.30 this morning, and uh, I woke up, and uh, everything, you know, was normal. Everything's the way it was supposed to be. But I laid there in bed. I thought, I'm just going to lay here for about five minutes. And I laid there in bed for about five minutes. And while I'm laying there, the power goes off. And I thought, oh, you know, the power's off. And uh, maybe it'll come back on. It was flickering. And um, sure enough, it did. It came back on. And I laid there a little bit. Thought, okay, good, the power's back on, I can relax. And um, Well, it went off again. And then it came back on, and I said, I better get up. Um, so I can see if what are the things I need to do, and, um, <clears throat> and I wanted to get that cup of coffee. Uh, but as I got up, I cut the lamp on by our bed, and it started flickering, and I thought, uh-oh. And it went off again and stayed off. And I was walking around the house with my phone and trying to, you know, do the things I need to do before um, coming up to the church. I got dressed in the dark with just my flashlight on my phone. And um, I thought, well, I'll go up to the church and see if maybe there's power up there. And um, uh, at least there's coffee up there, maybe. And... Uh, so I left the house, it's pitch black, I get in the car, I'm driving down, I back out of the driveway, and I, I'm just curious, I want to see, um, uh, you know, how much, uh, what was the extent of, you know, the power being off, and uh, I drove past our street, I drove out of the neighborhood onto Pleasant Ridge, and then I realized I'd forgotten something. So I turned into the street right before you would get to our street, and I thought, there's power on. Maybe the power's come back on. So I go down that street, and I turn down the street beside it. Power's on on that street. As soon as I get to the right to where our section, our street starts, the lights are still off. So I go to the house. I get what I, you know, had forgotten, get back in my car, and I drive back. And then Nancy texts me later and says, the power came back on a little bit after 7. And I thought, hmm. The whole time that I would have been spending time with the Lord, the whole time that I would have been spending time in devotions there at the house, um, Satan knew the message I was going to be preaching this morning, and don't tell me that Satan didn't have something to do 
with my power going out this morning and just in the time period that I'm normally up and about in my house and there's just this small area within our neighborhood where the power was out. I don't, you can call that ironic, you can call it a coincidence all you want to. I'm here to tell you this morning, and I've got some news for you. The Bible warns us that a spiritual battle is raging between the unseen forces in our, in, in our visible world. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and you and I are on the front lines of that battle. That battle takes many casualties, and there are no innocent bystanders. Every person on this planet, um, whether he or she um, is aware of it or not, is forced to take one side or the other in this great cosmic war that is raging all around us. So it's it's critically important. That you and I know how to defeat um, uh, uh, or defend ourselves for battle and, and uh, defeat Satan and his attempts to um, uh, uh, tear us down. Friend, listen, if we don't want to end up on the casualty list, um, uh, you and I need to train ourselves for the battle that we know is taking place and then arm ourselves with the necessary equipment that God has provided. So with that said, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to, we're going to be looking over the next several weeks, next two or three weeks, at verses 10 through 17. Paul informs us here that we are in a spiritual battle. And he issues a call to arms. Our enemy is not human beings. Let me say that again. Our enemy is not human beings. It's not your mate. It's not your child. It's not your parent. It's not that guy across the aisle uh, at the office. It's not the neighbor down the street. It's not that classmate. It's no human, uh, no other human being. The Bible tells us right here that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is Satan and his demonic army. Now, Paul gives us here the key to victory by placing the devil's plans, his satanic strategy, in our hands. We have Satan's plans right here in our hands. The question is, what are we going to do with them? Look what Paul says. Let's just read it. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, here's what I want you to take away from the message, and that is Christians are in a spiritual battle, and our only hope of success is to understand our enemy and the war that he is waging. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the Christian spiritual warfare here in Ephesians 6 in verses 10 through 17. And today, we're going to concentrate on the Christian's spiritual adversary, Satan and his demonic army in verses 10 through 12. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the Christian spiritual armor in verses 13 through 17. There are four things that I want to mention this morning about Satan that we need to know. First of all, we need to know Satan's origin. So I want to give you three truths about Satan's origin. You're going to, I'm just going to warn you, we're going to be going through the Bible uh, th- this morning. And first of all, I want you to turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel. There we find um, that Satan was first created a good and beautiful angel. Where did he come from? Look what Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. He says, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Then it says, You were an anointed guardian, cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And I believe the reference here is to Lucifer whose name Daystar or son of the dawn is given to us in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12. And Satan, or Lucifer, was originally created as a beautiful angel and was the anointed guardian cherub. His sole responsibility was to guard the throne of God. So the first thing we note about Satan is he was originally created a beautiful and good angel. He was the one who guarded the throne of God. There's a second thing we need to know, though, about Satan's origin, and that is he was corrupted by pride. The Bible tells us that although angels are created beings, they also have free will. Lucifer had an eye problem. He had too much ambition and pride. He was not content to be the guardian angel over the throne of God. He wanted to be God. Look what it says here again in Ezekiel 28. Look in verse 1. He says, your heart is proud. You have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. And then in Isaiah chapter 14, in verses 12 through 14, it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the most 
high. Friend, this sinful kind of ambition led to Lucifer's ruin because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, we see then that Satan, Lucifer, was created a beautiful angel. But then he was corrupted by pride. I want you to see in the third place that as a result, he was condemned by God. Again, in Ezekiel chapter 28, in verse 16, it says, So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. I cast you to the ground. And then in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 15, he says, But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Can I just say this morning, sometimes we get a false theology of Satan. We make Satan too powerful. And I want to encourage you this morning, or I want to um, uh, inform you that While some people think that Satan is like a bad God with a little G, that you have Satan, this bad God over here, and then you have the Lord God over here, and somehow these two gods, this God of evil and this God of good, are are at war with one another in this cosmic uh, battle against one another, and it's a real close struggle. Sometimes evil wins, sometimes good wins. But can I just say to you this morning, it's not a close battle. There is only one God, and that is the Lord God of Israel. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Friends, Satan is nothing more than a fallen angel. And in the future, today, Satan has access to heaven as well as freedom to roam this earth. But in the future, the Bible says God will prevent him from any more access into heaven He will be confined just to this earth and ultimately he will be cast into the bottomless pit in hell. That's his condemnation. So Satan was created as a beautiful angel, a good angel. But he was corrupted by his pride. But he's been condemned already by God. That's his origin. You and I need to know Satan's origin. But I want you to look secondly at Satan's army. Now go back to our text here in Ephesians chapter 6 and look in verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now what can we learn about Satan's army here? First of all, it's an invisible army. Look again in verse 12. For we do not wrestle, Paul says, against flesh and blood. You see, these evil spirits or demons are real, but they're invisible. 
just as angels are invisible. Friend, our battle is not against flesh and blood. The devil will use people to torment, to hurt, to aggravate, to cause us a lot of grief and pain. But our battle is not against people. Our battle is against this invisible spiritual army made up of evil spirits and demons. Can I just say that's why I believe Jesus said to us, love your enemies. Because we think that person in human flesh who's just great sold us or is giving us a hard time, who is causing life to be uh, miserable for us and making us just uh, upset about something, we think they're the enemy. They're not. They are being, they are pawns in the hands of Satan, and Satan has blinded them to the truth, and Satan is using them, and instead of directing our attention to where it belongs, to Satan and his demons, we concentrate on that person, and there's not a thing that's going to be accomplished other than it's just going to get us upset, it's going to cause them to become worse probably, and instead of showing them love and forgiveness and compassion, we react as if they're the enemy when all along they're not. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This enemy is invisible. Our battle is against this invisible spiritual army made up of evil spirits and demons. Second thing we note about Satan's army, it's organized. Look what it says in the latter part of verse 12. Paul shows just how organized this invisible spiritual army is. He says, our fight's not against a physical army, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, this world, Paul tells us, is in the grip of invisible world rulers who are headed by the devil. The point is, there is a demonic hierarchy of demons. Paul gives four different levels of Satan's demonic army. Now, whatever the exact designation of these angels, these demonic angels, there is a, um, a, a demonic army with a definite discipline chain of command. And at the top of this hierarchy is Satan himself. And he is very powerful. Human efforts can never solve the central problem of evil because they do not measure up to the power of Satan. I don't want you to get me wrong. I said a few minutes ago, Satan is a fallen angel, but he's still more powerful than you and I are on our own. If you're, a, if you're a lost person and you don't know Christ and you don't have the Holy Spirit and you don't have Jesus in your life, you, you are, uh, you're defeated before you even start. Because you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against spiritual powers. And our power is never going to measure up to the power of Satan. Read the Old Testament and you will see that every saint... Every prophet, every patriarch, every one of the great kings of Israel was defeated at one time or another by the devil. The wisest and the greatest of men are helpless to outwit Satan 
by their own human power. And friend, this failure has led many into despair. What the lawmakers and the educators, the social activists, and the philosophers of today fail to understand is that they are contending against rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They think they're wrestling against flesh and blood. Then they're baffled when the evil that they confront is so monstrous and so cosmic in scope. These demonic forces cannot be fought against with human weapons, but only with the weapons of God. And our battle cry, look again in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now that brings us to Satan's strategy. The third thing I want you to see, Satan's strategy. You know, the devil is a cunning, wily strategist. As Martin Luther wrote in that great old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he said, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And he was right. But look what Paul says here in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you, you, me, all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may, may be able to stand against, look at this, put it in brackets, put it in the schemes of the devil. When Paul speaks of the schemes of the devil, the word he uses is the Greek word methodia. Now, that means the devil has methods. He is subtle. He is shrewd. He is crafty. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What then is the satanic strategy? How does Satan operate in this battle against you and me? What are some of the ways he operates in our lives? Well, let's look at three. First, he tempts us to sin. Go back to Genesis and look in chapter 3. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember what Eve said to Satan there in verse 3 of Genesis 3? She said, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay? But now notice what Satan said to Eve. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Do you remember what Jesus said of Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44? He is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, Satan tempts us by twisting what God has said. He takes truth and either twists it outright or rejects it and then tempts us to do the same. 
He puts all kinds of scary, weird, impure thoughts in our mind. And our job is not to entertain those thoughts as Eve did, but rather to push them aside. Satan tempts us to sin. Listen to me. He tempts us to sin, but he can never make you sin. That old thing, Satan made me do it? Nah. Satan can't get the blame for that. Only you and I can get the blame for that. Satan doesn't have the power to make you sin. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, the Bible says. Listen, friend. I want you to stay with me on this. He tempts us to sin. Whenever you're tempted to go against what God's Word says, just remember, Satan knows what God's Word says. He's trying to convince you it doesn't say what it says, and he wants you to believe it says something different like he did with Eve. And I want to say this. This is a warning to the church. I get it out there. Satan convincing the world that what God says may not be accurate or may not be up to date or may not be relevant or contemporary or progressive whatever word you want to use but it is a crying shame when the people inside the church the church allow satan to twist the truth of god and buy into the lie of satan and think that what God has clearly said in his word has suddenly been changed to suit the day in which we live. He tempts us to sin. Second, he accuses us of being unworthy. Another strategy. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of our brethren, and he accuses us before God day and night. Now turn over to Job chapter 1, if you would. Here we see... In Job chapter 1, God says to Satan in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answers God in verses 9 through 11. Look what it says. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and put his house and his house and all that he has, you have blessed the work of his hands. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Friend, that's what Satan does. He accuses us before God all the time. He accuses us as if we're not worthy, as if we're not somehow, we don't measure up, we can't measure up, we're not good enough. Can, but can I just say something? We have someone on, who's uh, interceding, advocating on our behalf that Job did not have. And his name is Jesus. Jesus intercedes for us. So whenever the devil accuses you before God, whenever the uh, devil comes up and accuses you of not being worthy, I want you to know the Lord Jesus steps in and says, Father, don't listen to what Satan says. This one, this daughter, this uh, son is mine. The devil also accuses us to ourselves. He tries to make us feel unworthy, unashamed. He comes up and he whispers, you're not any good. 
Not only are you not worthy uh, to be uh, in go to heaven, you're not even worthy to do anything down here for God. He comes up and it's like he whispers in our ear, you're no good. How can you teach that Sunday school class? How can you sit in that choir loft and sing? How can you even come to church with so much sin in your life? He tries to make you feel unworthy. Can I give you some advice? The next time Satan accuses you of being unworthy, would you just agree with him? And just say to him, Satan, you're right. I'd be the first to admit, I am not worthy. I am unworthy. I don't deserve the love and the forgiveness and the grace that I have received from God. I'm not worthy, but my sins have been placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have accepted God's forgiveness by faith. Friend, I promise you, whenever you mention the blood of Christ, Satan will run with his tail between his legs and leave you alone. Don't let him make you feel unworthy. You are unworthy in and of yourself. But you have Jesus who made you worthy. A third method Satan uses, he blinds us to the truth. Now we've already said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. As such, he blinds us to the truth of God's word. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, look up there. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Friends, Satan doesn't want you to know that God loves you. Those who are not Christians, would you just listen to me for just a moment? You know that you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. and um, You don't know why. You just know you've never made that decision. Can I just say at this very moment while I am trying to tell you the truth of the gospel and that there's a God in heaven who loves you and loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for you so that your sins might be forgiven. I want you to understand that while that is, try- is being communicated to you through me and through the Holy Spirit uh, speaking, Uh, uh, through me to you I want you to know that there is another voice trying to get your attention there is another one who is trying to blind you to that truth and here's how he's doing it he's got your mind on anything else but what's going on right now in this place He's got you already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. He's got you already thinking about that business deal coming up this week. He's got you already thinking about that golf game you've got scheduled for this afternoon. He's got you thinking about anything and everything other than the truth of God's Word. Because Satan loves to blind us to the truth. He loves to keep us from understanding what God's truth is. Now, that was a word to any who... Are here without Christ. But can I just say the same thing to Christians this morning? Some of you are stuck in a rut. There's been no growth in your life for some time. Can I just tell you why? Satan doesn't want you to grow. 
Satan wants to keep you on the sidelines. Satan wants to keep you where you are because he doesn't want you to become a dynamic witness and a dynamic servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he will do everything he can to keep you from reading your Bible, from spending time in prayer, from fellowshipping with other believers, from engaging in corporate worship on a regular basis. He will do everything he can to keep you uh, sidetracked to keep your focus on anything and everything other than what's truly important, and that is your walk with God. The good news is we are not without hope. The Bible tells us we can be victorious over Satan. James writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The final thing I want you to consider as I look um, uh, at the clock and Again, I think that's a tool of Satan, but anyway. Um, just had to say that. Um, look in the last place at Satan's defeat. All right, go back to Genesis chapter 3 with me. In verse 15, we have the very first prophecy in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, look what it says. God says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent, to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning Christ, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friend, that means that there is going to be an ongoing battle between God and the devil, between his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the devil. And that battle continues today. However, Satan's defeat is seen right here in these words. Look again in verse 15. He, meaning Christ, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, Satan's defeat is certain. But it's a process in motion. And I want you to see that it commenced at Calvary, at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan's defeat began. It started right there. You know, Satan must have been looking at Jesus hanging there on the cross and seeing him in all of that agony and pain and suffering and seeing him as he was about to give up his spirit and die. Satan must have been sitting back in glee thinking, I've won. I have bitten his heel. The Son of God has been killed. But then the words from the cross... It is finished. It is finished. The battle with Satan was over. And then to prove it, three days later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose victorious over death and hell and sin. Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, Jesus was crushing the head of the serpent. Satan had crushed the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah was crushing the head of the serpent. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, 
Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, sometimes people mistakenly think that there is this great cosmic battle taking place between God and Satan, and the outcome is uncertain at the moment. However, can I just say to you, it's never even been close. From the foundation of the world, God determined that Jesus would be victorious. Secondly, Satan's defeat will be finished in the future. Just stay with me, if you will. His overthrow will be completed in the future. It's not done yet. He's still around. He's still bothering us. He's still trying to discourage us. He's still trying to defeat us. He's still trying to distract us from the work of winning other disciples to Jesus Christ. However, Satan's defeat, which started at Calvary, will be completed in the future. The Bible says in Romans chapter 20, verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Friend, I can just tell you this morning, that is going to happen. You remember when Jesus cast the 1,000 demons out of that demon-possessed man and into the hogs over in Luke chapter 8? Do you remember what those demons said to Jesus? In verse 31 we read, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. You see, those demons knew that that was their ultimate outcome. They knew the day was coming when that would happen to them. But they were begging Jesus not to do it today. Not to do it on that occasion. They knew the time was coming, but they didn't want it to be then. Friend, the devil knows he's a defeated foe. He is our enemy. We should know him. We should rebuke him in the name of Jesus, but fear God alone. Why? Because he who is in you is greater, much greater than he that is in the world. As you and I move closer than ever to the last days, as the darkness of the demon-dominated system of this world closes in around us, Paul's trumpet call sounds louder than ever. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at the armor of God that is available to all of God's children. Would you stand with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Friend, thank you for your patience. I knew this was going to be a little long this morning. We had some other things we had to do. But I just want you, don't let that be a distraction to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you right now. If you're here this morning and you've never professed faith in Jesus Christ, friend, don't let Satan blind you anymore to the truth that God loves you and that Jesus died to take away your sins. If you just put your faith and trust in him, God has promised he will forgive your sins. He will wipe the slate clean. 
He will give you a fresh start and he will give you the promise that when you die, you can spend eternity with him in heaven. For those of us who are Christians, friend, it's about time that we took the blinders off. That we said to Satan, no more. You have blinded me for too long, but no longer. I am a child of God. I will not let you discourage me. I will not let you defeat me. I claim the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ for my own. And I will fight you with everything I have based upon the Holy Spirit who lives in me. God, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts here today. And in this time of invitation, may we listen to that still, small voice speaking to us. And I pray that you'll be honored and glorified through our decisions, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.